Good morning, uh, Pitts family. Thank you again uh, for joining us for worship here this blessed Sunday morning. Um, you know, I was telling our uh, teenagers this past Wednesday night in our Zoom meeting that even though we can't be together physically, we can be together because it is the Spirit of God that binds believers together. So we are glad that, that you have chosen uh, to tune in this morning and know that our hearts are being bound together by the Spirit of God. I uh, just wanted to give you uh, an, an update on our Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Out of our goal of $43,000, uh, we have collected $23,566. Thank you so much for giving and being generous uh, towards that. And, and please know that you can continue to give uh, through the end of April. And we will have uh, opportunities for you to give online uh, via our website. Or you can mail your Annie Armstrong Easter offering in through uh, snail mail to the church. And as always, thank you for continuing to give to uh, continue the ministries here at our church. Um, but once again, uh, that's pretty much it as far as our announcements. Um, please continue to stay uh, in tune uh, with your community groups through your Zoom Sunday school classes. And, um, and that's one way to stay plugged in. Um, for uh, our family uh, relationships. That sort of helps us um, be bound together as well. Uh, now, if you would, just uh, take a moment and let's pray together and ask the Lord's blessings for our service this morning. Father, we are indeed humbled uh, by the fact that while we were still yet sinners, you came and you died for us, that we might have fellowship with you, that we might be in relationship with you. Thank you, Father, for the salvation that you have provided for us completely through Jesus Christ. And it is by faith alone and him alone that we receive the salvation. God, I pray that this morning uh, that we would examine ourselves as the pastor speaks from Colossians chapter 3, Lord, to see if we are indeed in the faith. God, I thank you for uh, him, and I pray, Father, for uh, your blessings to be on him as he breaks the bread of life unto us. God, I pray for believers who are tuning in this morning that you would use this message, Lord, to uh, encourage uh, where we need to be encouraged. And use it, Father, to convict where we need to be convicted. And Lord, I pray for the one who might be tuning in this morning that does not have a relationship with you through Christ. I pray, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you awaken them, you bring them to life, transfer them this morning, Father, from the domain of darkness into your light. God, I pray that they would see the need in their life to repent of their sin and believe on Jesus for salvation. Um, God, we pray that that would happen this morning in lives uh, of those listening uh, to this broadcast. Father, again, we just come to you and we recognize and realize that our hope is in you. That through um, these trying times in our nation, in, in our world, 
Lord, our true hope is met and found in Christ. And I pray, Lord, that as a result of all of these things that the enemy has meant for bad, that you would turn to good, that you would turn our hearts more towards you. That, Father, we would, that we would learn to lean into you and press into you. Father God, I thank you um, that uh, you've given us doctors and nurses, uh, first responders to help in all of these areas of, of this virus. But Lord, we ultimately depend on you for our hope. God bless our doctors and nurses and our first responders as they put themselves in harm's way each and every day. God, protect them. Protect their families. Lord, we also pray for our governing officials, local and worldwide. God, that you would give them wisdom to lead us through uh, this pandemic. God, we thank you again, though, for the hope that we have in Christ. We pray all of these things in his name and for his sake. Amen.
Good morning. He is risen. I don't think it's too late to say that. We could say that every Sunday. Uh, we're glad that you're with us today in worship. If, you, if you'd find your copy of God's Word, turn over to Romans chapter 6. We know uh, Pastor's going to be speaking out of Colossians 3, uh, but this is a parallel passage we want to read uh, this morning together. Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. But let me say one thing before I read. We are excited about getting back together because one of the things we had planned, uh, the services we had planned, was a celebration service to baptize folks. And we've got 11 people right now who are waiting to be baptized. Uh, if you're out there and you're saying, you know what, I've not been baptized yet. Well, we want to encourage you to contact the office and be part of that service. So when we get back together uh, very soon, hopefully, uh, we want to do a celebration service and have those baptisms soon. But baptism is an important thing. It doesn't save us but identifies us with our church and, more importantly, with Christ, uh, that we live as a believer and live more and more like Christ. So listen to this. Listen to these words as we read, starting in verse 1, Romans chapter 6. It says, Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ in baptism, we joined him in his death. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead. Amen. And he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Amen. May God add the blessing to the reading of his word. God's faithfulness is great. It is through all we need him. Let's sing together. Great is thy
Amen. Thank you, Jonathan and musicians. Uh, we're grateful for the music that they have been leading us in, and uh, hopefully you are joining them at home and singing these great songs of the faith. You know, as uh, Pastor Seeger mentioned a moment ago, we can't wait until we get back together. We have so much to celebrate. Uh, we want to finish the collection of our Annie Armstrong Easter offering for North American Missions. We have many church planners and missionaries uh, on their fields of service uh, here on this continent. We want to help them. And uh, then, as he mentioned, we have 11 people to, to baptize. So what a celebration service that is going to be. I want to invite you to take your Bibles this morning and find Colossians chapter 3. And I want to read verses 1 to 17 this, this morning. And we're going to be looking at the subject matter Another Easter has come and gone. Now what? And I'm going to talk about uh, post-resurrection living in the church. Post-resurrection living in the church. Because after all, uh, every day for the Christian is like Easter Sunday. And so uh, find your copy of God's Word and where you are there in your home. Uh, I would even invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Paul says there, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impure, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the, in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander. And filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is uh, no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity." Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What a wonderful passage. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. 
Father, we pray that through the power of your spirit, that you would open up our understanding to these verses and what you are communicating to your church. Lord, in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and the fact that in him we too are raised, I pray that our daily lives would be different from what they used to be and different from those who are in the world. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin by asking you a question this morning. What do Jim Carrey, Halle Berry, Dr. Phil, Daniel Craig, who was a more modern James Bond 007, Ella Fitzgerald, and Drew Carey, what do all of these personalities have in common? Well, one thing they have in common is that once every one of these was was homeless. Think of that. They were homeless and in poverty. Take Drew Carey, for example. He grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, where his father died when he was just eight years old. Now, according to the Kirkland Reporter, Carey told audience members at a 2010 fundraiser that he was on his way from Ohio to California to see his brother, when he ended up homeless in Las Vegas. He was just 18 years old. He would sell his plasma for $40 so he could have enough money to buy boxes of mac and cheese. Think of that. This, this actor and comedian and game show host is now worth an estimated $165 million dollars. But he was once homeless and in poverty. Same situation happened in the lives of those others that I just mentioned. Folks, they went from rags to riches. Now, today in the first four verses of Colossians uh, chapter 3 that we look at, we, we see how rich we are in Christ. We have a new position in him. And then in the next 13 verses of our text, we will see the difference that our new position in Christ should make in our everyday life. We've gone from rags to riches because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All 17 of these verses have to do with the resurrection. Last week, obviously, we celebrated the resurrection of Christ, and, and we see how the resurrection changes everything. And so when it comes to redemption, everything has been altered in the believer's life. Now, when we think of salvation, normally we think of salvation in the three different aspects. We think of our justification. We've been put right with God. We've been reconciled with God. We've also been sanctified. And that continues every day of our lives where God is conforming us to the image of Christ. And then one day we will be glorified. We will be with Christ in eternity. And so salvation encompasses all three of those. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. And Paul points out here that the resurrection has implications for all three of those stages of salvation. 
It is only by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead that we are not only given new life, but we're also given the power to live the new life. Now, I hope you'll take notes with me this morning and write down, first of all, the fact that we have a new position. In verses 1 to 4, we have a new position. The New Testament in a number of different places reminds us of the now and not yet uh, that should characterize, the now not yet view that should characterize the lives of Christians. We are in this world, but this world is passing away. With the coming of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God, in a sense, was ushered in. Remember what Jesus said in Mark chapter 1? He said, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. We also know that the kingdom of God is not yet. It is future. We're in the last age now. The next will be the return of Christ, and we will be with him in glory. But both here and in the book of Philippians, for example, other places in the Bible, Christians are told that we are to live even now by the standards of the kingdom of God. And so there is this now and not yet tension that is to characterize the believer. Paul is telling us here in Colossians 3 what that should look like. He uses indicative statements, just simple statements of fact that describe what has happened as a result of our redemption. He wants us to see that our position has changed. You see, we were in Adam, the first Adam, and being in Adam, the Bible says we die. However, our position in the sight of God has changed because of his work of redemption that he's done in us. We're in Christ now. Now, unless you think this, this seems odd, let me give you an analogy. Let's, let's take marriage, for instance. When you get engaged, you are betrothed to that one person. You're not fully married yet. And yet, as an engaged person, other than living together in the physical aspects of marriage, you live as though you are married. You see, there's the now and not yet aspect. It's the same in the Christian life. We are betrothed to Christ, and in heaven there will be the marriage supper of the Lamb, but we're to live that way even now. We're to live in this world now by the standards of of the kingdom age that is to come. Notice what Paul says. He says we have been raised up with Christ. When a person becomes a believer, God sees them as being joined to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. As I mentioned a moment ago, we were all in Adam. When Adam sinned, the whole human race sinned. But as we were in Adam, so too are believers in Christ. The Puritan Thomas Goodwin wrote, There are but two men that are, that are seen standing before God, Adam and Jesus Christ. And these two men have all other men hanging at their girdles. 
As we were in Adam, so we are in Christ. The death, the burial, the resurrection uh, are in essence applied to the life of the believer. When we trust Christ, it's as though God applies everything related uh, to Christ to our personal account. Christ became our substitute. And so when he died, in a sense, we died. When he rose, we rose. Now, of course, for us, the benefit is still future, but God sees it as already done. It is a certainty. We've been raised up with Christ. Christ was raised to be seated at the right hand of God, and he has everlasting life. Christ was raised to eternal life, never to die again. And so through him, you and I have eternal life. And we enjoy that eternal life even now, which means the sting of death is gone for the believer. Well, he goes on to point out, related to this, that we've died. Now, don't go checking your pulse. He says, we've been raised up, we also died. Don't go checking your pulse, but you've died. You say, Did they have my funeral and I didn't get an invitation? No, but you're dead. In other words, your old man without Christ is dead. Do you remember how you lived when sin and Satan had mastery over your life? What was the old man governed by? The old man was governed by the desires of the flesh. But now, if you're in Christ, that life is over. You're a new creation in Jesus Christ. Now, you still have that old flesh nature. If you don't believe it, then just let somebody pull out in front of you on the road and you'll see how quickly that old nature can come back. But in spite of this, the believer has a new nature, one that you previously did not have and did not enjoy. Well, Paul says a third thing about what it means, this new position in Christ. He says, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Think of that. You are preserved and hidden from the judgment of unbelievers that is to come. One of these days, the unbelief of the world will be exposed and judgment will be unleashed. But brothers and sisters in Christ, that is not your destiny because your life is hidden with Christ in God. And that means that where Christ is, you too will be. You are hidden in Christ. What a wonderful truth. And then fourthly, he points out here, you will be revealed with Christ in glory. He states that in verse 4. At the second coming, when Christ is unveiled, the word speaks of an open display. When he is unveiled for all to see, we're told that two things are going to happen. First of all, every eye is going to see him And the nations who have rejected him are going to weep on account of him. But it'll be too late. It'll be too late for multitudes. But something else is going to happen. There will be another unveiling. His saints will be with him. 
We will be unveiled. We will forever be with him. And so in these brief, succinct phrases, Paul describes what our new position is, what our new status is, and he describes it in just a very matter-of-fact kind of way. Wonderful truth stated here. Now, what is to come of our new position? What is the Christian response to be, to grace? If the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ has secured for us a new standing before God, does that have any implication at all for the way that I live my life even now? It absolutely does. What is our new life to be like? What is our Christian life and faith to be like? What's it to look like in everyday life? Well, secondly, I want you to see what Paul says here, that we are to live with new priorities. We are to live with new priorities. It's interesting that many of the things here are written in the imperative, which are commands. Now, I want you to think of what's going on here. When he was talking about our new position in Christ, he used simple indicative statements, just matter-of-fact statements. But here he gives us commands of how we are to live in light of our new status. I think it might be helpful if we understand a little bit of the context to this passage. Paul is writing to believers who have been infiltrated by false teachers. There was Gnosticism underfoot there in the Colossian church. The Gnostics believed that the flesh didn't matter. As long as you gave attention to the spiritual, that flesh and blood, matter, material, didn't make any difference at all. And so you could live your life, you could do with your body whatever you wanted to do as long as you were giving attention to your spiritual life. Imagine if in the church we had a Sunday school teacher, for example, telling his or her class, hey guys, now that we're Christians, we can live any way we want to live. We can do anything we want to do with our bodies. That's what they were facing in the Colossian church. And they were also being hammered from another direction too. They were being hammered with a hyper-legalism, a hyper-legalism. And so with both of these things attacking the church, I'm sure they were in a constant mess all the time. And so Paul is writing to them, pointing out that if they've been truly raised up with Christ and have a new position before God, that ought to change everything in their lives. In fact, if your life is no different than it was before you came to Christ, then your Christian faith is suspect. You see, there's supposed to be a response to God's grace. Yes, we're saved by God's grace, but God's grace ought to result in lives of gratitude and service. Now, let me just stop you right there for a moment. Do you suppose that the church today faces any of these same 
challenges and tendencies. Absolutely. You have some Christians wanting to emphasize legalistic matters, saying constantly, Christians shouldn't do this or that, and you have others that say, hey, I'm forgiven, I can do whatever I want to do. Just ask any pastor around, he can probably tell you that he battles somewhat with both groups in his church. I don't know why this has been such a difficult thing in modern times to understand We're saved by grace, not law, but if we're saved, saved by grace, we have new life in Christ, and that new life in Christ is going to mean that your life looks very different from the way it did when you were a lost man. There are new priorities that go along with our new position. He points out, first of all here, that we have a new ambition. Look with me again at verses 1 and 2. He says, since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. The believer who has died with Christ and been raised with Christ is to be occupied with Jesus. Folks, think of that. I am to be occupied with Jesus. I am to to be occupied with things pertaining to the kingdom of God. That's to be the focus of my life. What's the lost man focus on? He focuses on the world, and that's understandable because this world and the things of this world is all he has. So that's what he focuses on. It's logical. But the New Testament reminds us as believers, this world is not all that we have. In fact, this world is passing away. And so we are to have a new ambition. We are to keep seeking the things that are above. Somebody says, but but pastor, won't this mean that I become no earthly good? No, because the believer who knows that his or her ministry is to be carried out in in the dark world, in a dark world that needs the light of Jesus, understands this balance. There should be no difficulty whatsoever in seeking things that are above while working to make the world in which you live a better place. Those two things go together naturally. People do this all the time in other ways. Somebody takes a new position, for example, at a company. You have a vision for what you want that company to be. Yet the company is not that at all. But you work every day to make the company that. And you keep at it. Same thing here in the Christian life. We know this world is not what it should be. And our citizenship is in heaven above, but we live to make this world more what God wants it to be. In other words, we we put feet to the prayer, the Lord's Prayer, where we pray, Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We know that things on this earth are not like heaven, but the Christian puts feet to his prayer by trying to bring a little bit of heaven into what he does now on earth. 
That's what Paul's speaking of here. Keep seeking the things that are above. We're to have a new concentration also. He says, set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. In other words, the Christian mind is to dwell on higher things. J.B. Lightfoot said of this, you must not only seek heaven, you must also think heaven. I don't know if you've ever gone through the Bible and, and made a list before of what our thinking is to be like. For example, in the New Testament, Romans 12, 2, Paul says we are to be renewed daily in our thinking. In Philippians 4, 8, he speaks of things that we are to start dwelling on with our minds. You see, folks, what we think about is what we become. Attitudes and mindsets affect lifestyles. What you focus on with your mind is what's going to start coming out in your life. God knows this. It's one of the ways that we were designed. And so Paul is saying to Christians here, we need to change our thinking. How do we do that? By being constantly in God's word. The Bible is where we learn about God and where God speaks to us. We need to get to know God through his word. When people try to get to know God without the Bible, they come up with all sorts of gods, all sorts of false idols. God has chosen to reveal what he's like in his word. Listen, I can't even be an effective prayer warrior unless I get to know the God of the Bible. What am I to pray about? How am I to pray? The Bible teaches me all that. And so we need to be in the Word seeking, uh, setting our minds on things above. And over time, you will see, as you spend time in Scripture, God will change your thinking. His Holy Spirit will begin to transform your mind. Paul goes on to say that we're to live with a new wardrobe in verses 5 and then in verses 8 to 17. We're to pay attention, in other words, to our spiritual clothing, which is our lifestyle. We might say that we are to be careful how we dress and undress. And I'm not talking about normal clothing, but let's make an analogy here with clothing. When you go to bed at night, your clothes don't just jump off of you. You have, to, you have to undress. Then the next morning when you get out of the shower, your clothes don't just jump on you. You have to put them on. Paul's point here is that because you're new in Christ and Christ is alive and he's dwelling in you, you can live differently than before. It's not automatic. Again, the old man, while crucified, is still there. He's not fully been eradicated yet. As I said earlier, if you think the old man's been eradicated, just let somebody take your parking space. We've been saved from the uh, power and the penalty of sin, and one day we will be saved from the presence of sin. But until then, there's this battle waging in our flesh. There's these two natures. The lost man just has the one nature, the flesh nature. 
When he sins, he's just living out who he is. But you have two natures as a believer, the old nature and the new nature. And so you're not to be governed by the old nature anymore. As Kevin read earlier in Romans 6, you're under new management now. Through the spirit-filled life, we can put to death the things that are not pleasing to the Lord. So you're to put to death those sins, those ways of the old man. You're to take them off like a dirty suit of clothes. Now, look at the areas that he covers here. Beginning in verse 5 and then verse 8 through 17, he talks about things like immorality and impurity and passion. In other words, sins of the flesh. He says sexual sins amount to idolatry and on account of these things the wrath of God is coming. Now folks, the world can think whatever it wants to think about sexual sin, but God's word says it will be on account of these things that the wrath of God is coming. Then he talks about evil desires and greed. We could call those sins of the heart. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? That it's from the heart that bad things come. And then he talks about anger and wrath and malice and slander and abusive speech. That would be sins of the mind, the attitude, and the tongue. We live in such an angry age. Jesus said if you're angry with someone without just cause, it, you've, you've committed murder. Anger, wrath, and malice go together. When we get angry with someone, then we perhaps wish them ill, and then we might uh, gossip and slander against them. As James says in James chapter 3, we're gossiping and slandering against somebody who's been made in the image of God. We're trying to praise God with our lips on the one hand and run down somebody made in God's image on the other hand. That's inconsistent. What Paul is trying to do with this list here is cover the, the whole of the Christian life. I don't think he's trying to give an exhaustive list because when you, when you look at where he does this other places in the New Testament, he adds other sins too and then he doesn't mention some of the things that are mentioned here. He's not trying to give an exhaustive list. He's just trying to give a list here that covers the whole of our lives. And what he's pointing out is anything in our lives that is not pleasing to the Lord, we are to deliver a death blow to it. As a believer in Jesus Christ, I am not to be satisfied to let something remain in my life that I know is grievous to the Lord. But there's not only the undressing, there's the new clothes that we're to put on. There's the new behaviors. Look at what he says about that beginning in verse 9. He says, do not lie to each other since you've taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge of the image of its creator. He goes on in verse 12 to say, As God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, 
and patience. Look at what he starts with there. He starts with saying that we are to speak the truth. Remember what Jesus said about lying in the Gospel of John? He said that the devil is the father of lies. When, when we lie and not speak the truth, we're, we're being more like the devil. But as God's child, we're to speak truth. Why? Because God is a God of truth. Another thing that we need to clothe ourselves with is fruitfulness. Like he mentions here in verse 12. You can look at what, else, what all he mentions in verse 12 and compare it with the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Very similar. And then in verse 13 he mentions forgiveness. To not forgive sets up bitterness inside someone. Somebody said bitterness one time is like drinking poison yourself and waiting on the other person to die. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said that as we pray, we are to say, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. What if God used the same level of forgiveness towards you that you use towards others? The Bible says that we are to forgive even as God in Christ has forgiven us. Does a lack of forgiveness have you enslaved today? You need to deal with that. And then in verse 14, Paul says that we are to put on love, that love covers a multitude of sins. And then in verse 15, he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. As far as you know, and as far as it depends on you, are you at peace with others? And then in verse 15, he says, put on gratitude. Put on gratitude. That ought to be easy. When we think of what God has done for us in Christ, we were dead, but now we're alive. Gratitude ought to come easy for the believer. It's amazing what God's done for us. We need to be grateful to God. And then in verse 16 here, he says that we're to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And then he describes what it's going to look like when that happens, that we're going to be singing to one another in, in uh, songs. Psalms and spiritual songs and hymns. You see, there's going to be this overflow in our lives. Finally, he sums up in verse 17 by saying, whatever we do, we're to do to the glory of God. Now, folks, that's quite a list, isn't it? But again, I want you to remember what my point is this morning. Everything that he is writing here grows out of the fact of the resurrection from Jesus Christ from the dead. For those in Christ, we're not dead anymore. We have new life in Christ. And so we're to live that new life. We aren't to wait to heaven till we get to heaven to try to reflect the character of Jesus Christ. We're to do that even now. Every single Christian is to be different than how he or she used to be. We're to live in light of the resurrection. 
this morning, don't forget what Christ has done for you. Don't forget that you've been bought at a price. Some of you watching this morning perhaps need to come to Christ and you need to ask him to forgive you and cleanse you of your sins and reconcile you with a holy God. Right there where you are, in the privacy of your home, you can bow your head, confess your sins to the Lord, and ask the Lord Jesus to come into your heart and forgive you and to live his resurrected life through you. Some of you need to do that right now. Perhaps others need to remember the status of those who are in Christ. You need to understand that you've died with Christ and you've been raised up with Christ. And so all of your ambitions and affections are to reflect that. Ask God to help you seek what is above and to help you set your mind on what is above. And lastly, I want to ask you, are you constantly taking off and putting on, taking off those things that belong to the old nature and putting on those things that reflect who you are in Christ? Maybe as you read this chapter and think of some of those things that you're to take off, maybe a few of those come to your mind that you need to work on this week. Maybe it's anger, maybe it's malice, maybe it's slander. As you read this list about things that you're to put on, forgiveness, love, kindness, patience, maybe there's a few of those that come to your mind that you need to work on this week. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do thank you for the new life that we have in Christ. Because of his life in us, we are to reflect that every day. We're we're a new creation in Christ. The Bible says the old has gone, behold, the new has come. God, in our relationships, in our attitudes, in our affections, help us to reflect who we really are in and through Jesus Christ our Lord. And it's in his name that we pray. Bless you. Have a great day.